So we're in the last Torah portion of the book of Numbers. It's actually the last Torah portion, or it's the last story, essentially, in the Torah. Let me explain. So the book of Deuteronomy, which we're about to enter into, is actually spoken by Moses himself. Whereas the, the first four books of the Torah are dictated to God, and Moses wrote it down, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses talking, first person. So he's on the other side of the Jordan, he is close to his time of death, and he's charging the people uh, in, in a final kind of push, like you guys are about to take the land, and a recap of what they've already known, maybe a, a couple of new commandments, but ultimately it's, it's primarily a recap. So we come to the conclusion, essentially, of the story of the Torah, and it's actually... My, I believe it's my favorite Torah portion. Just like with holidays, every holiday that comes up, I'm like, this is my favorite holiday. Until the next one comes up, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite. But this one is very, very special to me, and, and I'll get into a little bit why. There's, there's much wisdom in this Torah portion. And maybe it's special because they're about to enter into the land, and God gives them specific instructions for when they enter into the land. They've been in the, in the journey, for the, in the wilderness for all these 40 years. And there are certain things that weren't relevant to them at that point. But now they're willing, they're ready to take the land. And God says, okay, now you're ready to go in. Now i got to tell you some new stuff. And since the taking of the land and the entering into the kingdom is symbolic of when we enter into the kingdom through our acceptance of Yeshua, our acceptance of the Lord, and that we are partakers and we are citizens of a kingdom of God. So I believe that the commandments that are spoken right now, it's like, okay, once you enter in, you got to do this. I think they're extra special to us because we're in the kingdom of God. So we're going to go through some of this. And there's one very, I guess it can be confusing, set of verses in this Torah portion, when we're introduced to something called the cities of refuge. Now, has anybody ever heard of the cities of refuge? Okay, some people have not. So this is one of those commandments that we just hear about now, where God's like, okay, you're about to enter in. Now I'm going to tell you something new. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to set apart these cities of refuge for when, if somebody accidentally kills somebody else, like manslaughter. Not murder, but manslaughter. They can go there. And let me explain. Instead of going through all the verses, I took the time to explain this pictorially with good old PowerPoint animation. So hopefully this works out. So this is, I don't know, who is he? We got to give him a name. Give him a name. Somebody give him a name. What's his name? Steven, all right. So that's Steven. Steven's got his baseball bat, right? So Steven's practicing his swing, right? Here comes Joe. Now I got to remember this. Steven and Joe. Can you guys help me with that? So Steven is the baseball player, and Joe's the poor, hapless guy that kind of ventured into Steven's little practice area. All of a sudden, Steven... Wax Joe, down goes Joe. Whoa, Joe. Joe is no mo. 
Popojo. Oops. But here comes Joe's brother. What? Mortimer. We got Steven with the baseball bat, Steve. Joe just got conked in the head. And Joe's brother, Mortimer, is really upset. He wants justice. The people are starting to gather. We want justice. We want justice. Because we learn through this Torah portion that there's something in the hearts and spirits or minds or wherever it is in our, us, us silly humans where we want justice. If a wrong happens, we want to make it right. It's got to be righted. We don't see that in the animal kingdom. If it's like an animal kills another animal, they just move on. There could be a, a maybe they, some animals actually have a, a mourning ceremony. But the, the concept of justice is unique to us humans. And it's something that is, seems to be innate within us. Like if there is a wrong, we got, it's got to be made right. It's there. And here comes Mortimer with a case. He's like, this dude Steve killed my brother and... We got to do something about this. And he's angry and he wants blood. Mortimer is really upset. But God has a plan for Steve. God has created. He's told the people once they enter the land to create what he calls a city of refuge. Where if somebody kills another person, they can flee to the city of refuge and be safe there. And the city of refuge is actually in the areas where the Levites lived. So he's surrounded by all the holy people. So he is physically, no, we don't need to name all eight of them. <laughs> we can call them Levites number one through number eight and leave it there. So he's surrounded by holy people. So he's protected physically. And there's something spiritual about where he is. That the Levites are there. Like there's something spiritually holy. Especially holy about this place. So he's in a safe place. And Mortimer can't touch him there. You can't touch that Mortimer. Okay. Mortimer can't go there. But as the Torah dictates, whenever there is a wrong, there needs to be a court case. And I've, I've said this many times. The most radical and amazing thing that the Torah brought forth is that when there is a wrong, it's got to go to a court. It's got to be judged impartially. This was the most radical thing that the Torah brought forth in this time. Because without the Torah, it was just the whim of a king. Off with his head! Do you know what I'm saying? It was just, it was a whim of a king that pronounced guilt and innocence, and that is just wicked. We see it in desperate countries now, but it's wicked, and God said, no, 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 no. Things like this are going to happen. You're going to enter the kingdom, and life is tough. Everybody know that life is tough in the kingdom? Bad stuff happens. And he pretty much is saying, it's going to happen. Once you're there, and you're governing yourself, there's going to be bad stuff that happens. So let's Put together a structure when bad stuff can be 
adjudicated in, a, in an honest way and in, in a way where, where judges aren't taking bribes and everything is looked at fact-based. So a fair case, fairness in a justice system is what the Torah brought to the world. It's amazing. It's amazing. So anyway, so here he is. He's in his city of refuge, Stephen, safe from Mortimer, but they got to go to court because something happened. A murder happened. A death happened. And that must come before a court. So eventually, you know, Stephen and Mortimer have to go to court together. And the, the, the case has to be tried. Now, if poor Stephen is found guilty, meaning that he actually killed uh, Joe with intent, like it was premeditated murder, it actually says that Mortimer has got to be the one to enact the death sentence. And this is something that's very unique in the Torah. Like the one who's bringing the accusation is the one that commutes the sentence. Did I use that term right? Commute the sentence? That may not be right. Wendy says, whatever. It doesn't matter. Which is very interesting because if I brought a case to somebody who murdered somebody and I was the one that he was going to be in the electric chair and I was the one that had to go, Ch -ch -ch, that would be very, very different. This is even why Yeshua said, who is without sin cast the first stone? Because it's the witnesses of these things that's got to actually do the, enact the, se or commute the sentence. It actually has to punish the person. So that brings it everything to a whole different level. It's very, very interesting. Anyway, so it's, poor, it's Mur Mortimer. If Stephen is guilty of murder, then Mortimer has got to do that. And then Mortimer's happy. Okay, then Mortimer, his rage is absolved. He doesn't have this feeling anymore. Justice has been served. His feeling of revenge has now been satiated. And he can go on with his life. However, if Stephen is found not guilty, Stephen then has to go back to the city of refuge, which is where he will live. I will get there. He is now essentially an outcast. He has to leave his life, leave where he lives, and live in this city of refuge, safe from Mortimer. How long does he have to be there? He has to be there until... Oh, I'm sorry. One more slide. If... This is interesting. If... Stephen leaves at any time the city of refuge. If he steps out of it, I'm going to go visit my family back where I used to live. If he steps out of it and Mortimer finds him, even if it's 20, 30 years later after the incident occurred, Mortimer... I tried, I had to have fun with the animation. Mortimer can actually kill him and is found guiltless. I got a problem with this. This is one of the things I'm still banging on heaven's door about. Because I don't like it and I don't get it. We had our men's group last Shabbat and one person who shall be now be nameless in the men's group kept on bringing up stuff in the Bible that really makes no sense.
And this guy was like, I don't understand this. Like, why does this happen? It just really doesn't make any sense. And as he was bringing up all these inconsistencies in the Bible, I'm like, Baruch Hashem, go bring it before our father and allow him to answer however long it takes. Because I think that some things in the Bible, God kind of leaves it a little bit confusing. So we can dig and we can knock and we can ask. It's not always very clear. But it just keep asking, keep asking, and all of a sudden, he'll give you a revelation of why this is. Now, I don't know. This doesn't make any sense to me. You know why it doesn't make any sense? Because Mortimer and Steve already went to court. And the court found that Steve did it by accident. That he didn't do anything wrong in his heart. He just did something wrong. He did something accidentally wrong. But he didn't have, there was nothing premeditated. Murder didn't happen. The case was closed. If the case is closed, why does Mortimer have the right to kill him if he comes out of the city of refuge? I don't understand it. So to, to use like a, a, a modern situation that keeps, to, keeps recurring again and again. And if this is something that uh, when I bring it up, it, it, it brings back past trauma for you or it's difficult to hear. I truly, truly am sorry. I don't mean to do that. Uh, I say this with the utmost respect, but a, a, a case that we often see in the news perpetually is white cop kills unarmed black guy. Happens too often and will likely continue to happen until Messiah comes. Uh, it's a sad thing. We always, uh, we're always a moment away from another very tragic thing on the news. So the family is like Mortimer. They're upset. And the, the black community's upset. They want justice. Right? But it's got to go to court. It's got to go to court. And we got to pray that the court is unbiased. And it's a fair case. And in the case of Derek Chauvin and George Floyd, Derek Chauvin went to jail. Guilty. Justice. But there are other cases, like with uh, young Tamir Rice from Cleveland. Young boy. He was like 10 years old or something. A little squirt pistol. Just doing his little boy thing. You know, people are like, I don't know what's going on there. You know, that, that, that guy, I don't know if it's a kid or not, or if it's a real gun or not, but you better go over there. Cops come in, the kid's like, you know, pointing his water pistol. Apparently didn't have the little orange thing on it that designated as a water pistol. The cops act very quickly. Boom, he's dead. Little Tamir Rice is dead. Family wants justice. The community wants justice. But it's got to go to court. And just like they went to court with Derek Chauvin, he went to jail. This one police officer was found innocent. It's like he didn't mean to do it. It was just a perfect storm of circumstance where the kid had the gun. It looked like a real gun. It pointed it. It just was a bad situation. And he was pronounced innocent. They eventually did a, the family did a, a civil case against Cleveland. And they were awarded, I think, $6 million. And that's how, and then it went away. Um, but imagine if... The family of Tamir Rice had the right to kill that cop. Like, forever. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, if, if the court spoke, it's over. It's done. But God says in this case, if Stephen leaves the city of refuge, Mortimer can kill him. When does this whole thing come to an end? It comes to an end... It says, when the high priest dies. Now, the high priest at that time 
Maybe he was 20 years old. Maybe he was 100 years old and only had a little bit of time left. Maybe, like I said, he was young and had decades and decades left. Maybe Stephen in the city of refuge is an old guy. Maybe he's going to outlive this, the high priest, which means he'll spend his entire life in the city of refuge. But what ends this whole thing is the death of the high priest. When whoever the high priest is at that time, when he dies, Stephen is allowed to come out and Mortimer can't kill him anymore. The whole thing is done. And I got them holding hands now. So, let's talk about this city of refuge and let's bring it to a more personal level. Because this is something that I don't fully understand. Like I said, I don't know why revenge killing is allowed. The only thing that makes sense to me is it says in places in scripture that like, Life for life. Like in God's economy of justice, if there is blood spilled, the only way to absolve that is by spilling of blood. And it's just, it has to happen. It has to be this, this, this equation. You know, it says in one place in Genesis that man, if man kills another man, then by man his blood will be shed. It seems to be in God's justice that there has to be a life if there is a life taken. So the the avenger of blood, the next of kin, has a right to, to kill him. But it doesn't really make sense to me. I really struggle with it. So now we have two people. We have Steve and we have Mortimer. Now, in this picture that I'm showing, Steve seems to be in a nice, happy place. He's in the city of refuge. He's surrounded by the Levites. It might be nice. They might have a Starbucks. You know, it might be a really good place to, to live. You know, a lot of land. You know, maybe there's a TJ Maxx next door where they can get some good clothes. You know, she doesn't like TJ Maxx. Okay. So, but, so this is, this, you know, so Stephen is in the city of refuge. It may seem nice, but it's not nice. Stephen is actually, like, in a way, imprisoned. He is exiled from the land. He has to live there, and he's not allowed to leave. Until this high priest dies. So he's in a place of being imprisoned. Really. It's not a good thing. He didn't really do anything intentionally wrong. But still he did something wrong even though unintentionally. And now he's kind of exiled. Stay over there. And don't move. Like forever almost. So it's not a good place for him to be. It's not a comfortable place. But if you look at these two people, who really is in prison more than the other? Because if you think about it, Mortimer apparently has this rage inside of him. And unforgiveness inside of him. We know this because the scripture says if... Poor Stephen over there, Steve, leaves the city of refuge. Mortimer can kill him. Why would Mortimer even want to kill him if he didn't have this sense of revenge in him? So the way I see it, even though Stephen is in prison, meaning he's in the city of refuge, Mortimer is imprisoned. Because he's imprisoned in his own spirit, in his own mind. Stephen 
is living there rent-free. So they're both in prison. And maybe you relate to one of these. Like maybe, let's make it more personal. Like Stephen is somebody who did something wrong and then was cast out because of it, even though it wasn't intentional. Maybe you did something wrong. Maybe you're the one who wronged somebody else. And now somebody else doesn't want something, anything to do with you. Like, I don't want to be, I would not want to be Stephen. I think about this sometimes, especially when the um, stories come out of a, of a cop that kills a, an innocent, unarmed, an unarmed person. Like, I wouldn't want to be that cop. Like, the, the concept, the thought of, ac of accidentally killing somebody, that's something that really upsets me. That bothers me. Like, I would not want to be in that position. We had a neighbor who, ac who accidentally ran over a bicyclist. Like, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, we, see it even, we see it in healthcare a lot, you know, where the, the people that work in the hospitals, they do the best they can, but sometimes they lose patients and they're blamed. So I, I wouldn't want to be in that situation. I'll tell you, if I was in that situation, if I was in Stephen's shoes, you know what I'd probably do? And this is just me. I would personally probably take the risk because I would not be able to live with, with myself that I accidentally killed somebody. I would probably want to leave the city of refuge and go to Mortimer and try to work it out. Even if there's a risk. Like, if I was the cop that killed Tamir Rice, like, I would be knocking on his family's door and saying, I am so sorry. I know how it seems. I know how the news is reporting it. I didn't mean it. It was an accident. None of these words do well, but I want you to know that my heart is with you and I want to walk with you in this. And now Tamir's family, they don't have to walk with the guy. But if Tamir's family is holding on to this, then they're still in jail also. And maybe you relate more to Mortimer, where there's somebody kind of living rent-free in here for you, in you, and you need to let that go, and you need to find peace with that. So how do we end this? How do we end the cycle of what we feel, these feelings that we have that are consuming us? How do we get out of jail if our thoughts and our guilt or our feelings of hatred are, are consuming us? Because both people, can, both of these can be in jail internally. One is a feeling of guilt, and one is a feeling of hatred and wanting revenge. And both are poison. What do we learn from the city of refuge? First of all, like I said, what ends the whole thing? The death of the high priest. Who is the high priest? Yeshua, his death brings us out of the city of refuge. His death clears our spirits. Yeshua is the high priest who died. Why does, do we have to wait until the high priest dies? According to Judaism, it's because the high priest is so righteous, his death brings atonement and just covers everything. Prophetically, it speaks of Yeshua. The death of the high priest ends this whole thing of being stuck in exile for something you did 
and hating the person who did something who wronged you. The death of the high priest, Yeshua's death covers all of that. So that is, Yeshua's death is the solution. It's the solution. It's the exit of the city of refuge. It brings you back into society, and it brings the reconciliation. But we know in the kingdom of God, life is tough, and we still go through these things. And you're like, I believe in Yeshua, but I'm still harboring a lot of hatred for somebody who hurt me. Right? Because this lets us fade. Let's just be real. We still deal with these things. We still deal with these things. What I love about this Torah portion is it brings certain truths to light that helps me with these things. Number one is journeys. This whole Torah portion starts, these are the journeys of the children of Israel. And it goes through every single stopping point on their wilderness journey. And it recounts it. This is so meaningful to me. What does it mean that every single stop is relisted? It's like if, if they went through my life, it's like, okay, here's the journeys of Brian. Brian was born in Comac, New York. He then moved to Smithtown, New York. From there, he moved to Hazlitt, New Jersey. And from there, he, from Hazlitt, New Jersey, he moved to Metuchen, New Jersey. And from Metuchen, New Jersey, he moved to Edison, New Jersey. And that's where he met his wife. And from there, they moved to Summit, New Jersey. And from Summit, New Jersey, they went to Chatham, New Jersey. Wait, we moved a lot. And from Chatham, New Jersey, they went to Heightstown, New Jersey. And from Heightstown, boy, we moved a lot. And from Heightstown, New Jersey, they went to uh, East Windsor, New Jersey. And then from East Windsor, New Jersey, they went to Westerly, Rhode Island. And then from Westerly, Rhode Island, they went to another place in Westerly, Rhode Island. And then from Westerly, Rhode Island, they went to Barrowville, Rhode Island, which is where they are today. So that's what... That's what it is. So it recounts everything. Why does the Torah take the time to recount every aspect of the journey of the children of Israel? It's because every stopping point that God brought you to is significant for you and your journey. Every single one. Stephen is in the city of refuge... God saw that before the foundations of the, of the earth. This is encouraging. We're all on a journey when we realize that God is the one who ordains our steps. We can have peace with wherever he puts us. Because he's the one who called it forth. So God saw all this before the foundations of the world. So how do we get to this place of peace if we relate to Stephen and we have guilt for something we did or, or we relate to Mortimer that, that, we, that, that somebody wronged us and I just feel all this anger and bitterness and resentment towards this person. God saw it all. This is the journeys of Kathy and this is the journeys of Karen and these are the journeys of David. It's part of the journey. And the concept of our walk, our kingdom walk, being not an arrival but a journey. Not an arrival, but a journey. It's something that comforts me. Because I know that that silver trumpet's going to blow at some point, And it's time to get up from where you are. And it's time to go to the next place that God's going to bring you. Which is going to have its own successes. And its own challenges. The next thing we learn from this Torah portion when it comes to this is about boundaries and borders. Because what we see in this Torah portion is that Moses said, okay, you're about to enter in, right? So now I'm going to give you some new stuff that you didn't need to know 40, 30, 20 years ago. 
I'm going to teach you how to portion your land and give you borders. I'm going to teach you what the borders are around this land, around Canaan, that you're going to take. I'm going to show you what, how, how you're going to make land for all the different tribes and what their borders are going to be. And it concludes with this crazy story of the daughters of Zelophebeh. I never say it right. The daughters of Zelophebeh. Zelophebeh. The daughters of Zel Zelda? No. The daughter who? Zelophehad. Zelophebe. What is it? Zelophath. Zevibi. The daughters of Zelophehad. Zelophehad. So we see the story of the daughters of Zelophehad. Where they were going to lose their inheritance. Because the inheritance is supposed to go from the father to the sons and their daughters. And need to go to Moses and say, we're not going to have anything. So Moses had to kind of go to God and they changed the... God said, okay, so they're going to get the inheritance from their father, Zelophehad. And now we see in this Torah portion that the people of that tribe is like, wait a minute. If, the, if these daughters of Zelophehad, if they marry people outside of their tribe... Their inheritance is going to go to them, and we're going to wind up losing land. And, and Moses said, okay, then they got to marry within their tribe. What do we learn from this? That what your inheritance is, protect it. This is what we learn. We inherit such amazing things in this kingdom. We inherit land. We inherit property. We inherit rights. Protect it. If there's something going on that's going to take away your inheritance, protect your inheritance. Defend your inheritance. The land is good. Protect it. As I said in the beginning, when I was first, when I was driving to services today, it kind of came to me how the children of Israel, when they were taking, when they were spying out the land, and they, we see these, you know, they came back with the big grapes. You know what I mean? Like on poles. You know, big grapes. I'm like, wow, the fruit is big in your land. The fruit is big. This is your inheritance. So what, you're in, what is the fruit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's patience. It's long-suffering. What is it? What else are the fruits? Kindness and joy. Protect it. Protect your inheritance. Protect your inheritance. This is what I learned from the daughters of to protect your inheritance. They saw their inheritance going somewhere else. And they made a stink about it. Until Moses made a, 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 a ruling. Okay, you're keeping it. And it's staying in this tribe. Protect your inheritance. The fruit is big. The fruit is big. The joy is big. The peace is big. The love is big. Protect it. Protect it. And number three, we learn about boundaries. Like I said, boundaries. Boundaries. I could do a whole nother sermon about boundaries. Because if I was Stephen, I'd want to reconcile with Mortimer. But Mortimer wants to kill Stephen still. So we need to be wise of who we want to reconcile with. See, there's two, two solutions that are, in the, that are fruits of the kingdom that we get to with the death of the high priest. 
There's two solutions for Mortimer with that smoke coming out of his ears. One is forgiveness. Two is reconciliation. Forgiveness is a requirement. Reconciliation isn't. Reconciliation is something that is very holy to God. But we got to know if the person that we're looking to reconcile with, is he truly or she truly repentant also? Because not everybody's safe. So we can have forgiveness and we can leave the reconciliation for God. Boundaries. Boundaries. We learn as these new commandments that they're just being taught about boundaries as they're about to enter into the land. I believe that God wants us to know that it's okay. In the kingdom, there are boundaries. And it's okay to keep them. And if the guy that hurt you is in the city of refuge, and that's where he's got to be, and you can't go to him, and that's the way it's got to be, then that's just the way it's got to be. We need to be wise of who we want to reconcile with and who we just leave to God. Forgiveness is a requirement. Reconciliation is aspirational, and God loves it, but it may not be his will unless you're both on the same page. We got to remember that. Got to remember that. It's okay to keep boundaries. We learn that in this Torah portion. But forgiveness, I just came across an article. Just came across an article. It's probably because I've been studying this and Google knows I was studying it. And then the other website that I went to caught the cookies from what I was studying. And now they know what I'm studying and they gave me an article pertaining to it, I can't stand that about search engines. I can't stand that I go and search for something and then ads for it come up in other areas. I can't stand that. But anyway, I come. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not going there. So, so I came across an article that spoke about how A study was done of people that have experienced trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder. A traumatic experience. And post-traumatic experiences means you had your trauma and it affected you so much that it stayed with you. It's a tough thing. Many people deal with this. They experience a trauma and then stays with them. So this article spoke about a study that was done. And the conclusion of the study is that people that believed in Jesus, Christians, were less likely to experience the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder because innately within them, they had the concept of forgiveness. And they were able to forgive and the forgiveness washes away the trauma. And these are the things we always need to pray for. Our survivors. And people that experience traumatic things. So these are the things we learn in this Torah portion. We learn to keep your boundaries. That it's okay to keep boundaries. Protect your inheritance. 
protect your inheritance. And know that wherever you are right now, it's just part of that holy journey. These are the journeys of the children of Israel. I love that the Torah portion starts with it. And I love that the story of the Torah portion ends with chronicling every place they went with its successes and its failures. So know those things. And I just pray, wherever you are, if you relate to Stephen, maybe you hurt somebody. Maybe you did something. Maybe people are keeping boundaries with you. Maybe you want to reconcile with somebody, but you can't. You can't touch that. You can't go there. Maybe that's you. Maybe you did something wrong and you feel guilty about it. Even if you, were a, even if you didn't do anything sinful, you did something wrong. You wish it didn't go this way and it's, it's, it's hurting you. Maybe you are Mortimer where you have residual anger and hurt and somebody else that somebody hurt you is living rent free in you. I just speak over you the fruits of the spirit over you right now. And I declare for you that the fruit of the kingdom is big. The fruit of the kingdom is big. May you partake of the fruit of the kingdom. And may these hurts get washed away. In the name of Yeshua. Amen.